Today, we start a brand new series called uh, The Bride. It's a brand new series on the church. We're going to spend about five weeks looking at the church of Jesus Christ, the church that we belong to. When you look, look through Scripture, speckled all through Scripture, you see this analogy that there is a bridegroom and his name is Jesus. And there is a bride. And that bride is his people, the people of his choosing for his glory. It's his church. It's the ecclesia, the gathered ones, the called out ones, the bride of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying this as many ways as I can think of because I want it to be clear. When I'm speaking about the church, I'm not just speaking about an event on Sunday mornings. So many times, like we use it all the time. We're going to church. Hey, what do you, what do you guys do on Sunday? Can, can you guys hang out? Can you guys go to brunch? Ah, actually, we go to church. We are going to church, but church is far less about a thing that we go to and, an, and more about an identity that we have because of the one who's claimed us for his own. I'm not talking about churchgoers. Being the church starts with a supernatural change. And that means that we can't do it on our own. John 3 calls it the new birth, a spirit birth. And when you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, come face to face with the Christ and see his magnitude, see his holiness, see his love and his grace towards you in spite of your sin, in spite of your sin, in spite of the fact that you've been opposed to God or running from God, but yet in his mercy, he reveals himself to you to behold him and to believe on him and to cast your life upon him. That's called faith. And in that moment, there is new birth. There is new life. We become his church. We become his bride by placing our faith in him and in his word. You become his. You become a part of his bride, the church. And this bride is called to be pure, faithful, arrayed in splendor, because we belong to a bridegroom and his name is Jesus and we belong to him alone. And so before we launch into this series in our text, I want to pray this morning and I just want to warn you guys that today's message is kind of PG-13, okay? And so we're going to be using lots of imagery, lots of imagery of Christ in the church and so this message this morning is going to be a little more PG-13 than normal, okay? So before we get into it, let's pray. So if you've got kids in the room, just be mindful you might blush. You might blush just a little bit. It's not going to be vulgar, but hopefully you trust me. Jesus, we love you and thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for this gathering of your people, for your glory, to hear from your words and to be ministered to by your spirit. This is all about you. God, I pray that we would know our role, our position, that we would know what you've done for us and what that means for us and the call that we have to present ourselves to you in beauty and purity and splendor. And so God, be glorified. God, speak to us today. And I pray that, again, as I always pray, that we would be the church to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start by reading Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 25 today. And uh, we'll read a few other texts and a few other verses. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself Excuse me, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to this. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let, the wife, and, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What's beautiful and interesting about this, right? You have verses 31 and 32, right? He quotes way back from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is Paul's instructions to the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, hey, guys, husbands, this is how you need to love your wives, like Christ loved the church. Wives, this is how you need to treat your husband. You need to submit to him and respect him as you would to Christ. Okay, but it's not, please understand, like when I read that, those two verses, it dawned on me that Adam and Eve and every other husband and wife since then was made, was designed, was to image something, to image Christ and the church. It's not that Paul was going, man, I got a bunch of goofball husbands that can't get their act together and a bunch of wives that are in rebellion or whatever it is, and what's a good analogy? Like, what's going to help them be a better husband? What's going to help them be a better wife? You know what? Christ and the church. Guys, be like Jesus. No. It's always been about Christ and the church. That's why your marriage is so sacred. That's why your marriage is so wonderful and beautiful because you were designed as husband and wife, as man and woman, to image Christ and the church. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The one flesh of the husband and wife is the oneness and the intimacy, the love, the ecstasy, and joy and amazingness, yes, found in sex. (laughs) Right? The joy and the ecstasy and the love and the intimacy and the oneness that you see in a husband and wife on their honeymoon, on their wedding night, that's the oneness the intimacy, the ecstasy, and the joy that is to be in the bride and the bridegroom of Christ in the church. That oneness, that's the coming together. That's the coming together. It's kind of weird to talk about this in church, isn't it? It kind of feels crass or inappropriate to talk about. And I think that's partly because we've got an amazingly corrupted view of sex tainted and corrupted by pornography and selfishness, right? The fact that we come together in such a way was God's design for a future day of Christ coming back for his bride and the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
the intimacy, the joy, the ecstasy, is to image something bigger than just a husband and wife here on this earth. Marriage and sex, the two becoming one flesh, this mystery is speaking of us, the bride and Christ, our bridegroom. In that great day in Revelation chapter 9, let's read that. Verse 6 says this, Revelation 9, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give, give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's wedding day. And his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This is the day that all of this is about. It's the whole reason why we tell our kids to wait for marriage, right? It's not just so that they don't get pregnant too soon or that they don't become a father too soon. It's not just so that they stay away from diseases or don't tarnish their reputation. It's because that moment, that intimacy, that act is pointing to the most significant relationship in the universe and the greatest day that will ever be. The day that we will be united to Christ forever. We don't just teach our kids to pick a good mate merely so that they'll be happy or treated well. We don't just wrestle with and pray with and counsel with couples who are struggling in their marriage merely so that they'll get along and not fight and be happy. Marriage is a reflection of the most important relationship in the universe and the consummation that sex is a shadow in a foretaste of the joy and ecstasy we will experience when Christ the bridegroom comes for his true bride. Those who are pure, those who are arrayed in splendor. And that's why the issues of gender and sexuality and marriage in our culture today are so, so important. It's not just old fashioned, it's not just old tradition. It's not just old thinking. You look at the culture and it's lost its mind. You see that churches are ignoring scripture by embracing the culture of the day, denying God's design for God's reflection of God's glory. That's what it's about. That's why it's deeply important. Because it images the most important relationship and the most important coming day. Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride, in the marriage union when he returns for them. The wedding is coming. He's going to return. But right now, you and I, we are a betrothed bride. We are claimed. We are engaged to be married. Remember that day? Remember your engagement day for those of you who are married? Remember when you got engaged? I bet there's some pretty good stories in this room. We should share those sometime. Some cheesy stories. I remember my engagement day. Down at the lakefront here in Milwaukee, wife and I. Oh, I claimed her for my own, made her my own. Will you marry me? Yes. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. I wish you would bear with me. 
uh, in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Right? Christ came to this earth and purchased us with his blood. He claimed us for his own. He betrothed us. Right? When we see and behold him and place our faith in him, we become a betrothed bride. And that's why waiting well and anticipation and longing are so important. We are waiting as a bride waits for the groom to come back, as a bride waits for her wedding day. And this is why fidelity and purity are so important. I look through the Old Testament, I look at the Israelites, right? And it's really, it's pretty easy to pick on the Israelites, isn't it? Like, we like to rail on the Israelites. We look at them and go, ah, those foolish Israelites. Always wandering, always grumbling, always complaining. God's in their midst. God's showing up miraculous ways, and they're still complaining in the next chapter. God saves them from the Egyptians by ten amazing plagues. Let my people go, right? Angel of death comes, kills all the firstborn, except those who were marked by the blood of the lamb. Pharaoh lets them go. And then he's like, what have I done? I had all this free help. Let's go after them. God does another miracle, right? Parting the Red Sea, they walk through on dry ground, sea swallows up the Egyptians. They were rescued, delivered by God, by the Lord. It's a picture of Jesus. They're out in the wilderness. They start grumbling. God gives them manna, bread of life. Again, picture of Jesus. They start to grumble and complain. There's no water. Water flows from a rock. Again, picture of Jesus. He's sustaining his people. But the Israelites did more than doubt God and more than just grumble against God. They rebelled against him at times. They rebelled against his commandments. They served other gods at times. An outright rebellion, an out, outright idolatry, which is adultery. The prophet Hosea tells it plainly, and you're going to blush a little bit as I read this, but this is just scripture. And so just again, PG-13. Hosea chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children I will also have no mercy, because they are the children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She, is, she who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax my oil, and my drink. Some graphic language, isn't it? Right? That word that I'm not going to say anymore, just so you know. Right? That is wandering into fornication. There's an intimacy that is claimed for the people of God and God alone. And there's an intimacy that is supposed to be there that he likens to, right? Fornication. Wandering off. Meant only for God. But even in his mercy, if you look later on in the, ch in, in the second chapter of Hosea there, he says this about his people. That despite them, not because of them, but despite them, he loves them and has mercy on them. He says in verse 19, And I will betroth you to me forever. 
I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. There is still the mercy and faithfulness of our God, even with an adulterous people. He is so good to his people. He is so merciful to his people. Even when we're wandering, even when we're lost, and we like to create it like it's like, uh, like I'm sometimes just downright rebellious. You? Anybody? When I come face to face with the word of God, there are sometimes where I know that I'm in complete rebellion to it. I just can't. I just don't want to. It's just too hard. And then what I like to do is gloss over and go like, oh, it's just, it's just, oh, I'm just confused. <laughs> We know that the bride of Christ must be a spotless one, a pure one, a virgin, undefiled. But how? Who is actually pure? Who is actually blameless and undefiled? Enter Jesus. Enter the redemption of mankind. The entire story of the Bible tells one simple, beautiful story. God's chosen people, wandering, rebelling, lost, and God pursues them because of his mercy, because of his love, because of his faithfulness. You look at all those stories through the Old Testament. Lots of them just in rebellion. Lots of people being redeemed and reclaimed. It's all the story of Jesus the spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world, John 1. And he does it by his blood, by his death, by the giving of himself for his bride, that his blood washes away our sins. It makes us pure, whiter than snow, Isaiah 1. Cleanses us from every sin, 1 John 1. We are made pure because of Christ. And by faith in him, he has made us his own, and we are betrothed to him. It's wonderful. This is the good news. So how then do we remain faithful? How do we not wander into adultery, being, con being consumed with this world, the, the, the sparkly things, the good things of this world? Like, honestly, like, I feel like over the last couple of weeks, maybe months, the Lord's been stirring me. I've been sharing this with the men's group and some of, some of you some of you guys at some of our prayer events. Like the Lord has really been stir, stirring me in the areas of prayer, and fasting, and longing for Him. And it's because, like, and and I feel like I've been more acutely aware of spiritual warfare. It sounds weird to say, right? Because it's, it's we don't like to talk about that. Like, we don't like to talk about spiritual warfare because that's like oh, the boogeyman, right? Boogeyman behind the corners. Like, there's a de demon behind every bush and whatever, and it's like, oh, all of a sudden now, like, this guy's an idiot, and we're saying that he's got a demon. Well, not, not exactly. But do not be deceived. Do not be fooled. Like, we wrestle not about f uh, with flesh and blood, but with powers of darkness, principalities of darkness. We have a real enemy who hates this church. We have a real enemy who hates the church of Jesus. And so, and, and, and there's schemes. And if he just shows up, like, as this dark, evil thing, like, it, those are the easy things to identify, right? Like, Satan shows up and he looks like, you know, the pitchfork and all this stuff. Like, we go, okay, that's bad. That's Satan. We, we'll avoid that. 
I mean, it's like temptations. Temptations in our life, good things in our life, become those things that can be distractions in our life, and not just distractions, but actual evil in our life. For us to combat against those things and against our flesh and our pride and those, those things that tend to rise up in us and we feel so justified in it, but, but it's all just the, 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 the battle that we face as a bride betrothed to Christ and there's an enemy working to undermine and to defile us. That we would defile ourselves, I guess I could say. What does fidelity to Christ look, for, look like for us? What does fidelity to our groom look like as we wait for our wedding day? The only verse that popped into my head as I said those words was John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If we are in this love relationship, if we are in this love relationship as a bride to a bridegroom, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Sounds simple, right? You'll keep my words, the things that I've spoken to you in my word. You will believe on them. You will cast your life upon them. You will trust them more than your wisdom, more than you love your flesh and your will. You will keep my commandments. Fidelity to Christ looks like fidelity to his word. And, and look at what it does, okay? Let's look back at our uh, two scriptures that we've already shared this morning. So good. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he do that? How did he love her? He did that by his death, right? 26, that he might sanctify her. The Greek there means to make holy, right? He makes us holy. He sanctifies her. And how does he do it? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with what? The word. He cleanses us and makes us pure by washing over us with the word that he might. And here's the thing. 27, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. We are a bride that is supposed to be presented to Christ in splendor. And Christ, in his faithfulness, takes his word and washes it over us sanctifies us and cleanses us. Oh God, that you would wash us with your word. Oh God, that you would cause us to love it, to live it, even when it's hard or countercultural, even when my flesh wants to remain in its prideful state. Oh Lord, that you would wash us with your word. We must remain faithful to his word as we wait for the return of our bridegroom. He cleanses us and keeps us ready for his return. But we have a hand in being ready, don't we? We have a hand in being ready. We have a hand. We, there's, there's something that we have to do. There's something that we have to participate in. Do you hear this? He poured out his blood, which makes us clean. He continues to wash us with his word, but we also have a hand in it. Let's look at Revelation chapter 19 once again, right? This is that marriage, supper of the Lamb. 
Verse 6, when I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has what? Has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Did you get that? Did you see that? That Christ takes his word and he washes over us, right? It sanctifies us and purifies us so that he might present us to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, but in holiness. And then here in Revelation chapter 19, you see that the bride has made herself ready, that it was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, and that fine linen that is bright and pure is her righteous deeds. The doing of the word of God. Those works, right, I, I don't think it's, it, it's overly complicated here. Those works, those doings that shine like fine linen, that bright and pure, that is a gorgeous wedding gown of her faithfulness to the word, of, of her obedience of her righteous deeds. I don't think it's specific to any one or even a few things. I think it's simple. If you love me, if we're in this relationship, if you truly are my bride, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to do it. The keeping of them is everything. The keeping is the doing of them. Those are the righteous deeds of the saints. So Christ, the groom, cleanses his bride by washing her with the word. And the bride responds by making herself ready for the wedding, his return, her righteous deeds, her obedience. We respond to his cleansing, sanctifying word by doing that word. It's the beautiful reality of James chapter 1 and James chapter 2 connected with Romans chapter 10. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God, right? Faith is that receiving the word with gladness by hearing and having that word wash over you and have it produce faith in you, cleanse you, right? And James 1 tells us that it needs to be carried out, that, that you can't just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourself, but you need to be doers of that word. It needs to be done. It needs to be obeyed, heard, received. And that that true receiving is evidenced by those righteous deeds, by the doing with the obedience. And if it's not, if you don't do the righteous deeds found therein, you're fooling yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You don't have a faith worth anything, right? James chapter 2. If it's not accompanied by those righteous deeds, those works, that that faith is actually dead. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. God in his mercy, Christ in his mercy, takes that word and washes it over us. And we as a bride, to be presented in splendor, we take that word and we live it boldly and beautifully. Are you ready? Are you arrayed in splendor and fine linen, bright and pure? because you've been washed in the word by the groom himself and then have whole, obeyed it wholeheartedly in preparation for him. That's our call today. The bride of Christ is faithful to Christ and being faithful to his word. Right? Being faithful to Christ 
for us as we await his return as being faithful to his word. As the band comes and we conclude today, we spend some time in worship and prayer and doing some business with the Holy Spirit today, I just I want to challenge you, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Is he going to come and find a bride arrayed in splendor and purity bright, shining, white linens, a beautiful gown that is without spot or wrinkle? Are we arrayed in splendor because we have been washed by the word, sanctified by the word, and that we've carried it out in beautiful, righteous deeds? I want to challenge you, church. This is challenging to me. There are a lot of times where I think it is just empty religion. It is just empty religion. We don't love the Word of God and do the Word of God like we should. When it's convenient, it's awesome. We do it. When it presses up against certain parts of our world, we really, I really struggle with it. I want to be arrayed in splendor. I want to be washed over by the Word. God, wash us in the truth of your Word. Cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness that we might be arrayed in splendor. When the day that you arrive, that you will look at us you will embrace us and that you will receive us and it will be this glorious consummation of what this entire journey is all about. We will experience the joy and the intimacy and the ecstasy of being united with our groom as his bride. Right now, you know where you're at and I hope that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Are we faithful to the word of God? Are we faithful to the Word of God? Are you personally faithful to the Word of God? Some of us in this room, you're like, I don't even read it. I, like, I come to church on Sunday, I get my little chunk of Word, and that's about it. Like, that's probably a problem. I don't mean to, like, hit you over the head or anything. That's how we're washed. That's how we're like. That's how we're sanctified. That's how He continues to sanctify us. It's not a one and done kind of thing. He's constantly washing that over my soul. And if I'm not doing that, man, the, the, the enemy takes a foothold in there, and all of a sudden now I'm not walking by the Spirit. I'm walking by the flesh, and then it starts to muck up all of my relationships. Are you faithful? to the word of God. If you're not, today's the, we just repent. We just start over. And he is so faithful, right? He embraces us. Israelite, the, he called them whores. That's how unfaithful they were. That's how gross their idolatry was. He was still so merciful to them. Today, God is being merciful to us. He's being merciful to us by his word and with his spirit. Let's respond. Let's stand. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the church. I love the church. And I'm so grateful, God, that it is you that shed your blood to cleanse our sin and make us yours. That we are betrothed to you, that we belong to you. And so, God, help us not defile ourselves, but help us to remain faithful to you and thus be faithful to your word. 
Help us, O oh God, to love your scriptures. Wash it over our souls. Wash it over our lives. And where our lives are out of step with you, where our deeds are out of step with you, God, forgive us. Bring us into alignment with your word that we might do the word. Righteous deeds flowing out from a beautiful, splendid bride so that when you come again, we are arrayed in splendor, ready for our husband, ready for our groom. Uh, what a glorious day. I can't wait. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship our God together. Let's keep responding to him.